And that for all of these years that I was feeling less than, that I wasn't feeling good enough, that I hadn't found my tribe, it's because I was comparing myself to elephants when I'm really a giraffe. And that <laughs> I just need to find other giraffes and yeah. the heavens. There are so many giraffes out there. Absolutely. Welcome to another episode of Tea with Abby. My name is Abigail. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Blended Sense. Uh, coming to you from a new space today. We're in the living room, not the bedroom. Um, You're changing it up. You know, it's been three months of quarantine, so it's time to get a little fancy. I am thrilled to speak this morning with Elena Valentine, who is someone that I uh, discovered just as Blended Sense was kind of getting this legs. Um, I listened to you speak on a podcast. I really wish I could remember the name of the podcast. Um, but it was so exciting and empowering to hear a woman at the helm of a creative company that was making big moves. And um, it was a surge of inspiration for me to say, ooh, Okay, we can we can do this. We can figure this blended sense thing out. So, good morning and welcome. Good morning from Chicago. I'm excited to be here with Tea with Abby. So you're in Chicago and you are the co-founder and um, CEO. CEO as well. But really, it's servant leader. CEO gets really weird for me. So I like you're, to say I'm the co-founder and servant leader of yeah. Skill Scout. Um, your co-founder's name is also Abby. It is. So this is going to feel like a very natural conversation. I might just be calling you Abs or Abster or just Ab. I don't know. A. Let's see. She's a blonde too. She, yes, she very much is. Yes. So. This is a riot. Well, let's get into it. Um, I was doing a little um, investigating of the internet, of course, before Ooh. our call. <laughs> I stumbled across your Instagram and I noticed that you have quite um, the creative flair um, for these beautiful graphics. Yeah. And knowing what I know about Skill Scout, I'm going to give you a chance to tell the audience what it is in a moment. Um, but I'm kind of curious to hear from you, like, where does creativity live for you? Are you a multi-creative um, person? and um, I don't know, just enlighten us a little bit on where, where that's coming from. Yeah, well, so it's interesting and we can certainly, we'll dive into this more as we talk about, especially this time. Um, but I feel like a couple of months ago, I really started to tap more deeply into my inner artisan because there's two identities that, you know, I constantly balance, right? Is the identity of a business owner and the identity of an, of an artist, in my case, primarily a filmmaker. And I remember several months ago, even prior to COVID, someone asked me, Elena, are you a business owner first or a creative? Instinctually, I said, well, no, I, I'm, I'm a business owner. I have to be. There's no one else on my team who can be a business owner. But what's interesting as COVID hit and then thinking about 
my own just personal growth these past couple months, what I realized is that while my identity as a business owner felt so in flux sometimes, mm. the one thing that nothing could ever take away from me was my identity as an artist. And I truly believe um, in this quote that Toni Morrison says, she says that in times of moment and uncertainty, that's when artists go to work. We speak, we write, we do language. And that is how civilizations heal. Mm. And so, you know, as we're kind of going through this time and, and sometimes for myself, maybe I don't have words um, or it's finds it's so difficult to express. I think this is when we kind of go deeper into other creative expressions and communications to help us heal. And if it helps others heal or find solace, that makes it even more meaningful. Identity as business owner versus artist. Um, so how did your identity go from filmmaker to Skill Scout founder? And can you tell us a little bit about um, the mission behind what Skill Scout does and the, and the purpose? Yeah. You know, so just Skills Scout is a glance of what we are right now and then diving deeper into our origin story. So we're a media production company, primarily for the world of work. So we work with companies to help tell their stories on video as a way to attract, engage, and hire talent. So that could be bringing a job to life um, and what it is like to work as an engineer uh, or as a nurse. It could be about company culture. It could be about just, you know, really any and all stories that are happening on the workplace that could leverage film as a means to connect employees or candidates is a lot of what we do and what we're passionate about. And it really came from our work prior to Skill Scout as design researchers. So, my colleague, Abby, and myself were professionally raised in like an IDEO kind of design thinking environment. And inevitably, this is where the inspiration for Skill Scout came about. So, you know, as design researchers, a lot of what our work is supposed to do is to, um, one, I think, be the voice of the consumer or the end user for whatever products that we end up designing. And so oftentimes we're going into people's homes to understand their TV viewing experience or their shopping experience. And what I was really privileged to do primarily at the time when I was working for this design innovation firm was to work on really wicked social problems and, des and apply design thinking towards it. Uh, so whether that was on teacher feedback or patient-centered care or youth employment, which is inevitably what would change our lives. Mm. So, you know, we really embarked on this challenge of how do we connect 6 million young adults who are not in school in the workforce, and how do we connect them to more meaningful pathways to employment? That was kind of the big project. And these were young people who didn't look good on resumes. Mm -hmm. Some of them had records. Mm -hmm. uh, many of them had never left their neighborhoods, so they lacked access and exposure to jobs. And as a result of all of this, what you're finding is that you have a hiring process and you have workplace processes generally who are failing a huge part of our generation. And it's not just young people, right? We can think about all kinds of communities um, that the workplace and the hiring process shuts out. And so among many of these things that we saw um, was 
you cannot be what you cannot see. And so often these young people are just flailing at these roles, just, they just, cause they didn't understand it and they weren't exposed. And so when we took a step back, we realized that there was a power in video and that there was a power in storytelling and initially being able to bring jobs to life just to get young people excited about the world of work and starting to ask the right questions. And that's at the essence of what we did. We just started to film jobs and it started to work. Were you guys um, in, at that point empowering teens to film themselves yet or were you going in there with the crew? Uh, it, was, it was kind of a mixture of both. I mean, what we initially started out as versus what we are now um, certainly is, is a little bit different and more focused. But yeah, I mean, inevitably what we were, you know, looking to create kind of precursor to Skill Scout was this new way where candidates could understand jobs in a new way, right? Which was through job video. At the same time that we could have the ways for companies to really understand the skills and the interests of candidates that went beyond the resume. Because certainly for the communities that we were working with, the resume was not going to be the strongest indicator of what they could actually do. And so we kind of really started out building a tech product, inevitably what would potentially be an applicant tracking system at the time. But then there were certainly some lessons learned, which I know that we're gonna go into uh, oh, yes. longer in the conversation, like that. yeah. but that, that's kind of really where it all began. I mean, we inevitably saw a social justice in the world and we put a flag in the ground and to say, we, we can change this. We can be a part of a solution and certainly not the silver bullet, but certainly one that can, I think, infuse storytelling and infuse film into how we can make meaningful connections in the workplace. Um, and using story as a way to do that, because uh, to quote Patty Digg, the shortest distance between two people is a story. And our workplaces are filled with people. And so ways that we can do that and to make people feel like they could belong and have a future is really why we started to do this work. Before kind of COVID, and quarantine and this shift of everyone moving out of their offices and into their home pits. Um, that's a challenge all in itself. Um, can you take me back to the beginning of when you and Abby said, okay, let's go for this thing. Let's give it a shot. Um, what were some of the most challenging experiences you had there as you were approaching companies? Were they ready to adapt video yet? Were they excited about it? Or was there still some hesitation whether, you know, uh, I guess something that we ever so often come up against as we're, we've been raising um, is the inability to understand how valuable a creative service is for a business. Yeah. Um, and we get questioned whether a small business owner actually needs creative services. Um, so like, is that something that you ran into or companies were like, video, fantastic. All of the above and more. And in fact, in part, I am actually very glad the level of naivete that I came in coming into some of these industries. So when we first started and we were kind of experimenting and figuring things out, we had identified, for example, that manufacturing could really be a fruitful industry, particularly in providing, I think, more visual um, in, in kind of 
informative pathways to careers, especially for young people, because manufacturing really is supportive of um, workers of non-traditional backgrounds, right? And so, you know, we kind of really came into manufacturing really wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. And I gotta tell you, Abby, I mean, your small manufacturer is uh, quite a character. Uh, <laughs> you know, and, and mind you, right, these are primarily men, primarily white men, primarily of a much older generation, probably five to 10 years out of retiring. Right. Um, these are, are folks who are um, really having to seriously think through their own succession plan, especially if they don't have a family member who's kind of gonna come in. Those were our initial customers. They were putting out lawn signs out of their facilities to hire. So to make the connection between a whole new way to hire and what they were doing already was so far-fetched. Um, and it was a very, very, very hard and long road to get there. Um, and so again, right, that kind of level of naivete, all right, we, we, we can initially start to focus on one industry, get really niche, get really good. Um, and I'm very glad uh, that we came in with a level of naivete because that's such a hard industry, right? So these are folks that are just coming off of the recession. Um, you know, they're, they're still in some ways a bit in preservation mode. Uh, so this, this idea of you're saying we should film ourselves, um, like, you know, the, the thing that was sometimes so astounding is that so many of them had never even been asked the question before, why do you do what you do? Why do you come to work every day as a tool and die maker and a CNC machinist? And these, these folks are so passionate. So many of them had just never even been asked that question. So it was quite a learning experience. It was extremely challenging. It took, I would say, a good three years um, for us to gain credibility. Wow. Um, and it took early adopters, you know, so it took a few kind of key influencer manufacturers to give us the nod, to try us out, and inevitably to advocate on behalf of us. Of course. Um, but we, and we, we did and we still do, stood out like sore thumbs, um, you know, out there. And, but, but inevitably, what I really value about that whole challenge, which we took on, was that, hey, if we could prove it out for your old school manufacturers of the suburbs of Chicago and the Midwest, hell yeah, like this will work for any industry of any company size. So we sank our teeth into a really hard challenge. And I think as a result, um, had always kind of really helped, have always, had always kind of really helped to, I think, focus and understand, no, these are really the results that you can get. Um, and it goes beyond even just kind of the data that you might see about kind of how it, you know, can help you attract quality talent and have more meaningful conversations. That's interesting that that's the demographic of, of customer that became, you know, kind of how you guys launched your services because, um, Similarly, we were visiting with my dad, who's a contractor up in Massachusetts, and he comes from this uh, integrity-based, word-of-mouth, yellow pages, 
kind of more traditional, you know, advertising, going to um, conventions like the home shows. And it was with him that he was just understanding he needed to do something different and had no idea how to access what he needed that made us start to go, okay, well, I'm an actor and I've been experiencing a ton of problem on my sets in terms of how that industry needs to evolve. Um, obviously the world's going digital a lot faster than we realized. <clears throat> and so like, how do we get these small business owners, not just the big names who have $10,000, $15,000 budgets for a single video, how do we get them um, what they need as well? And so it's interesting that, that that's a similar demographic that was like, okay, we're tired. We know the world's changing. Like, give us something different. <laughs> and, I th and I think, and inevitably that's what it was, right? Is inevitably that, I mean, all of these manufacturers knew something new had to be done. Something right. had to change. And, you know, we, we don't give manufacturers enough credit. They are the, the originators of continuous improvement. I mean, these are folks who have continuously improved processes like nobody's business. But I think typically that innovation has always fallen on the product itself, not necessarily in their people processes in right. some form. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was, I think the big thing was that we never had to have a manufacturer was like, oh my God, things are perfect. Things are amazing. It's just incredible. It's like, no, they, they knew they had to innovate and inevitably what, would it, what, what it would come down to certainly is budget. And then kind of how much are you willing to take a leap with us, right? Like this is not going to be, a guarantee and certainly for our kind of OG adapters coming from their very strict German backgrounds, um, you know, that, that definitely was, was a hurdle for them. So you guys were grinding it out. You were running around the Midwest trying to figure out how to get this service out there, launch this business. Um, I do know, I remember from listening to that podcast, there was a major milestone in getting American Airlines on board. Um, how far from starting point, the grind years to a moment that defines like, oh, I think, I think we've, we're making it, we got something here. Was it the American Airlines or was maybe there's something before? Yeah, I mean, I feel inevitably there's kind of like these four steps to success, right? And we already talked about kind of the first one, which is, hmm, we have something. I think the second thing is, ooh, we have something and we can sustain it. I think the third is we have something, we can sustain it and we can sustain others outside of ourselves to do it. And then inevitably, right, the last one is we have something, we can sustain it, we can sustain others and we can also lean truly into our own values, right? Mm -hmm. There's kind of this inevitably a Maslow's hierarchy of needs of food, shelter, water, and then to our own kind of ethereal um, kind of emotional wants. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I would say year three, mm. year three is when it started to feel like, oh, we can, we can sustain this. Like this will work. We're focused enough. We've learned enough. We've prototyped enough. Um, we're not kind of the new girls on the block. Mm you know, wide-eyed, bushy-tailed. So we're jaded enough, no right? To, yeah, to kind of experience it. That's just really encouraging and I think important for people to hear 
um, who maybe have been sitting on, a, on an idea for a while, or they've been grinding out for that first year and a half, and they're feeling the pressure of like, I don't have the traction that these investors want me to have, or I don't have a XYZ, um, and you're judging yourself based off of, I don't know, some made up credentials. And that was a major lesson for us, Abby. So I think when, when we talk about what were some of the biggest lessons learned, I think one of the biggest things, again, such naivete, I thought there was only one, will to, one way to build a business when we first started, which was to be like a Mark Zuckerberg yeah. and raise a lot of money and sell it and be a unicorn. I literally thought coming into this, that that, that, that would have to be how this would play out. And one, what such an unrealistic set of expectations considering that the majority of American businesses are not, you know, these high tech, you know, fundraising round, you know, businesses. These are bootstrap businesses. Yeah. Um, and it felt, that's where it felt, I think, very challenging. So certainly, again, when we came into Skill Scout, we were one thing, you know, we were intended to be kind of more of a technology platform. And it didn't take very long for both my colleague and myself to just not feel very good about that. And I think in part because, you know, we saw, I mean, there was a ton of saturation in the space. Mm -hmm. So we were going to really have to figure out not even just how we differentiated ourselves, um, but just all of the APIs and things that we would have to connect. Because the biggest thing, especially for HR leaders is, they want everything to get centralized. They're almost working in way too, in too many platforms. Right. Um, and so if they were going to adopt another one, well, that would very much have to be integrated among many other things that they do. And by the time we know it, right, now we're building a product that now has like 85 different tentacles and we have no focus. Oh, and by the way, we would have to raise more funding. And from the get, I found raising investment be the most soul-sucking, soul-crushing experience. And I certainly remember, you know, a would-be investor asking me this question and I'll never forget it. And this is where it really changed for me. He's like, Elena, like, I really just want you to feel like you will now have the weight of other people's money on your shoulders. Like, feel that for a second, right? These are not just faceless VCs. Can you take the weight of that pressure? And I was like, no, I can't. Because one, I know that I'd constantly be having to balance who the real stakeholders of the business are. I think it would be a tug on my own personal values. And I think inevitably it would be a tug on why I started to do this work in the first place. And so taking that moment to then another moment of a woman saying, you know, there's nothing wrong with building a business to last. And then all of a sudden the unlock hit me and it was like, so you're saying I don't have to build a business to sell. I can build just a damn great business to last and that that's okay. And that for all of these years that I was feeling less than, that I wasn't feeling good enough, that I hadn't found my tribe, it's because I was comparing myself to elephants when I'm really a giraffe. And that 
I just need to find other giraffes and thank the heavens. There are so many giraffes out there. Absolutely. And so that was the unlock is when I was like, oh, I felt I had permission to build the business I wanted to build, how I felt right building it, even if that meant that our business would look differently, our business would grow differently. It could be a business that I could be proud of. And that building a great business was more than enough. That's incredible. That was huge. That was huge for me. That's incredible. So up until this point, you guys have, you know, I guess we would call it bootstrapped or self-funded and have made it work without outside investment. We initially started the business raising um, investment. And, you know, as we went down this road, we have now made arrangements to buy everyone back. That's incredible. Oh, I, I, I like hearing that. I think Albert would have wanted to hear you say that too, um, because I find value-wise, just like you had mentioned, that question in these, I'm raising a seed round right now, and I'm trying to close it by September. It's really intense. Um, and I, we struggle with that question of, okay, well, where do you see yourself in five years? Um, and we know that they're asking, like, do we want to exit? And of we do have, we would like this to be our first company. We do have uh, some other things we'd like to do. We're both still pretty young. And, but um, that, that feeling of, well, people want to really build just like a, a, okay, let's assemble something that looks really good. So it, it's shiny and people would want to buy it. Um, we want to build something that has a legacy and, and like really long lasting impact. And that completely contrasts with why investors invest in you. This isn't a charity. Right. And I get that. And that's why, look, you know, I, I have nothing bad to say about investors or those that raise capital, et cetera. Yes, um, very to our current investors. <laughs> but that's inevitably, Abby, that's not why I got into this. I hear that. Yeah. My purpose does not have to do with me, you know, coming into this because I wanted to make more money. It's because I am walking in my purpose. Mm-hmm. And it moves me to tears to think about it, right? That I am that passionate. I I have found something that purposeful and that is a privilege. And that is a gift that majority of the world doesn't get to have. To be an entrepreneur is a privilege because that means you have a level of access. And to continue to walk in the purpose again means that you have a level of access and privilege to be able to do so. so. And I don't take that lightly. And I don't take that for granted that what I have found was my ikigai. My key to success has been able to find this convergence of what I find my purpose in life to be had, the idea, the fact that I can make money off of it and that I can impact the world at the same time. That is a very, very, very small percentage on that Venn diagram. And I am so blessed to have found it. So how could I not have an abundant mentality even when we go through a time like this to get back to the why of what I do every day. Mm-hmm. I have the best job in the world. Ooh. So how has uh, walking past, uh, through these past few months been, how have you been infusing your company value system 
which I love. Um, empathy is our first value as well. I think as a creatively servicing kind of thing, um, you can't really tell stories without empathy. Um, how has your values been guiding your business through what's next? And how drastic has any pivots, if any at all, that you've had to make then? You know, Abby, the true metal of a company comes out in times of crisis, not in times of success. The pedal to the metal, your actions now, my actions as a leader will have long lasting effects. And not just on our clients and prospective clients, it's on the people that we've brought into our company. And that's not something that I take lightly. And despite how challenging this has been, and, and this is, I am not a unique story. I mean, our business really halted and we have very scared clients. Um, and we recognized, especially during those first few months, this was not about a time to sell and to kind of pick up back on partnership you know, conversations because you had companies that were seriously now having to think about things like moving thousands of people into a remote workplace, furloughing, laying off, restructuring, figuring out safety measures. That was really important. And I knew that I had to take a big step back to doing the role that primarily a, a CEO founder might do, which is to continue driving and building the business. I knew that I needed to make space for my clients and my prospective clients. More importantly, I knew that I needed to make space for my colleagues. Um, you know, when we came into 2020, right, you know, we had all these revenue goals, as all of us, you know, do, and um, putting numbers to things. And, you know, when COVID hit, that all had to go out the window. And there's only two things I can pray for, and those only two things I can manifest, and that is that Skill Scout is still standing once all of this is kind of said and done. And even more importantly, that I've kept everyone employed. Oh. And that no had to, to kind of worry or be concerned about that. But if it's one thing that I will try my hardest on is to make sure that people feel like, you know, I will, myself and Abby will bear the brunt for as long as we can to make sure um, that they feel secure. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that has been my only prayer, right? My only actions every day is to make sure that those two things happen, right? It's not about growth. It's about grace. Mm -hmm. It's about giving our clients grace and our prospective clients grace. And even more importantly, my colleagues grace, those who are having to balance their families or having spouses or partners um, who've been laid off or furloughed. Um, and even now those who are scared and enraged by the racial and social injustices and making sure that as a leader, I make space for that, that there is a collective grieving and a collective frustration. And that as a leader, it is my role one to make 
safe, sure that they know that they have a safe space to give them grace um, when they need to and to act on their behalf and to stand out and make sure that as a leader, I am present and I am doing the actions necessary um, so that they know that they very much are in an environment um, where I will have their back. Um, we are a team primarily of people of color. And that's been very, very intentional from the beginning. Uh, so this is something that is affecting us more ways than one right now. And that inevitably, right, my success will be making sure that, that after this, that people will remember this time, people will remember me as someone who, who supported them and gave them grace. I remember hearing that in your podcast that you were striving to be the number one premier hiring of people of color, women of color, people of color. I, I, I don't remember what it was at the time, but um, that that was one of the most intentional pieces of building your business. Yeah, especially given where we came from, right? I mean, look, we were working with young people and, and young people who, who were constantly being thrown out. And what I realized then is we kind of moved to being more of a filmmaking creative company and not necessarily a company that was outwardly social impact, et cetera, was that the biggest, make, biggest impact I could make as a leader is not on what Scout could do for other companies. It's what Scout can do for our own workforce. It's what I can do to help jumpstart the careers um, of other creatives and filmmakers and not with the expectation that they'll be here forever, but more that when they look back on this time, that they will remember their time at Skill Scout as being one of the best work experiences that they ever had. And that they grew as a result of this experience. That's, that's, that's inevitably um, what I want. And yes, very much so, you know, I raised my hand a long time ago to say, look, I manifest to become the employer of choice for women of color because when we can put the most marginalized at the center of our conversations and our stories and our investments and our time, everyone else wins. It's not to say that we have only women of color on our team, but what I always have said is we put them first because if we can put them first, that means that we've now fostered a space where everyone can belong and everyone can feel that they thrive. And what's interesting is that, you know, previous to kind of everything now being even more out in the open, I remember being a little bit hesitant to say that more publicly, like, oh my gosh, watch. Someone is gonna turn that recorded conversation from several years back into you know, something where, you know, you know, Elena is a anti-sexist or whatever that is, the opposite of that. And I think what's been interesting, you know, is all of this now is coming out and the protests um, is that I'm affirmed in my beliefs. You know, I'm validated in the actions um, that I've taken, I'm more emboldened to do so. And it's because of two things. One is, is that we can name it and we can have a focus, right? I think the problem with a lot of corporations and the challenges, and I, I very much empathize with my, my HR, my people leader colleagues um, in kind of large corporations where they, they kind of have to make this big blanketed statement, right? Um, everyone matters and we're having to do all of these things and inevitably that only dilutes the message right it only kind of dilutes the what you can do um and i think as a small business what i can do is to be super laser focused to say we can do this and we can go really deep and do it really really well and that's the power that we have as small businesses 
the power to be emboldened, the power, I think, to name and to make very specific choices and focuses on what we want to invest in. And more importantly, that we're the ones that can truly make the biggest social impact, right? We're the ones that are most valuable. We're the ones that can fail forward in ways that the corporations and our people leaders cannot. We can be the ones to experiment. And if all of us could do that together, we could collectively truly change this world and change our economy by creating spaces and fostering spaces to provide people with some of the best economic opportunities. That's, that, that's my legacy. I mean, that, that's my, that's inevitably my, my biggest goal is that that's what we can do. And that's what all businesses should feel like they are empowered and emboldened to do. That for us, it's not going to be cute little Black Lives Matter graphics. It's going to be, no, we have a culture. We're building a culture where our Black voices and our Black employees can thrive and are part of our leadership and are part of our stories. That's what we can do. And as a company, if I am here to attract, if I'm here to help other companies attract and retain diverse talent through their stories, then I need to put that onus on myself. How can I not have the most diverse team and to come into these organizations and capture their stories? Because if it's another quote I truly stand by is if you want to change the story, you have to change the storyteller. And it's not just going to be about who's in front of the camera. It's going to be about who's behind it. It's going to be about who's being tasked helping to craft and edit these stories. That, that is also kind of the two-way conversation that happens in the world of filmmaking and in the world of storytelling. And that is very much something um, you know, that I, I take lightly, that I focus on, and that I make sure that I can live the values that would enable those kinds of connections and kind of two-way conversations to happen. Oh, I'm... I feel like I just in a, such a short period of time, I've been able to learn so much from you as a CEO, stumbling through this chapter of it and wanting to find my feet on, on solid ground of how I can um, lead in a way that is not for show or for, it's just fluffy on the top, but that there's um, that my feet are planted on something really solid. And I'm so grateful for how emboldened you are. And, and I'm, just, I'm like, oh my God, I can't wait to get this day started. Um, that was, that's wonderful. And I'm, I'm so thrilled that this kind of, the, all the, the hard work has been done to, so leading up into this moment, um, you know, is, success when when er, luck and opportunity and preparation kind of combine into this magical little moment in time and this this seems like an incredible time um for your company to step into 2020 2021 and be leaders in the world of how we are going to change our economies thrive in our workplaces and bring people up bring the youth up um, I'm so, I'm so thrilled that we've connected so I can yes. help Scout grow a little bit more intimately. Um, over yeah. the um, yeah. 
you've filled us up with some wonderful quotes, but we do like to end um, each episode with what I call the statement stick. Um, and it's, a, it's either any one of those that you've said so far, something even more personal, um, a couple words, a saying, a mantra. Is there anything you'd like to leave us with today? Yeah. So every morning, one of my close friends, Katrina, and I have a tradition. And it's called Manifest Your Excellence. And we send each other messages about how we're manifesting each other's excellence and what are we doing that day to manifest our own excellence. So my statement set will be to manifest your excellence and to kind of manifest, you know, what you envision that you can speak it into ex to existence and that I'm proof of that and what we've built at Skill Scout has truly been just one daily manifestation of excellence after another. So salute to that. Salute to that. Manifest your excellence. That is the tea, everyone. Thank you so much, Elena, for joining us. Co-founder and CEO of Skill Scout. We are so grateful for your passion, your expertise through experience, and uh, can't wait to see what's next. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for watching Tea with Abby. Be sure to click subscribe and smack that like button so you can stay tuned. <laughs> smack that like button. See that like button? Smack it. Thanks so much for watching an episode of Tea with Abby. Be sure to click subscribe and smack that like button so you can stay tuned with new episodes all year long. And if you want to learn more about Blended Sense, visit us at our website, www.blendedsense.com, or follow us on social at Blended Sense or at BlendedSense.io. See you next week.